Welcome to The Big Rich Show. This podcast will focus on conversations with friends and acquaintances within the four-wheel drive industry. Many of the people that I will be interviewing, you may know the name, you may know some of the history, but let's get in depth with these people and find out what truly makes them a four-wheel drive enthusiast. So now's the time to sit back, grab a cold one, and enjoy our conversation. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two, Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Why should you read Four Low Magazine? Because Four Low Magazine is about your lifestyle, the four-wheel drive adventure lifestyle that we all enjoy. Rock crawling, trail riding, event coverage, vehicle builds, and do-it-yourself tech all in a beautifully presented package. You won't find Four Low on the newsstand rack, so subscribe today and have it delivered to you. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Ricky Artez. Ricky is an old uh, mod stock competitor back in, in We Rock and also the owner of Jeepers Den and does a lot of social runs in the off-road industry. And we're going to talk to him about his life, early life, and how he got into off-road and, and about Jeepers Den in Florida there. And so, Ricky, thank you for coming on board. Thank you for having me, Rich. Let's just jump right in like we always do and say, hey, where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in San Juan, Puerto Rico, okay. and uh, lived there till I was 10. And then we moved to the U.S. with my mom and have lived here since, and the rest of my family's all down there. Okay. So a little West Side Story going on? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so what were the years like in Puerto Rico? I'm sure you remember it since you were there until yeah, 10. Yeah, well... Well, I was there till I was 10, and then I went back, oh, gosh, a lot. <laughs> Anytime I was off of school, I went back and, sat, you know, stayed with my dad. Um, early life in Puerto Rico, man, it's uh, it was good. I mean, we did, you know, all the things that you think about we should have done when, when we were kids. You know, we would it would rain, and you'd get a leaf off of a plantain tree or something, you know, and you ride that down the gutters, and then, you you know, you go ride your bike through the water, and you run around barefooted, and you know, all the stuff that all the kids should be doing. Right. And, um, you know, just, man, we just played, you know, we just went out and did stuff. Not much, you know, school was good. You know, you, I learned English cause my mom was adopted. So when we went to my grandparents' house after school, you spoke English there and then you spoke Spanish at home, but man, it was just fun down at the beach all the time. And, uh, then I moved to the U S and when I went back, it was just fun times, you know, cause you don't, I didn't have to go to school. I didn't have to work. I didn't have to do anything. So I went back quite a bit till I was 15. And then after that, I just kind of went back a couple times a year after that. Okay. And I've never been down to to Puerto Rico or any of the, the islands um, in that area. The Caribbean, I guess that is. Yep. What I know it's a, a U.S. territory and has voting rights and all that kind of stuff, but is it what is it like compared to the other islands down there man puerto rico's yeah puerto rico's nice i mean it's 
you know, there's, there's the bad areas just like anything else. Right. Um, but as long as you're, you know, if you're a tourist and you go to the tourist areas, they usually don't, you know, you're usually not going to get messed with, but it is a beautiful Island. I mean, it's got a lot to do there, you know, rainforest, it's got beaches, it's got, man, you got anything. We off-road like crazy down there. Um, so, I mean, there's just, there's just everything you can think about you can do there, but, but it's definitely a beautiful place. So we're, we're sports. I would imagine soccer was probably pretty big. Yeah. Soccer was always big basketball, baseball. Okay. Um, those were usually the three main ones. So when you were in school, were you scholastic or did you play sports or were you just did your own thing? You know, in high, in high school, I'd, I've always been in, in, in choir and stuff like that. And I played soccer, okay. um, did some basketball, but I, I was always a big time into singing and then soccer was my main thing. And then man, from the time I was 14, I had to get a job, you know, so I always worked, played sports and did my thing, but then, then school wasn't for me after that. So I did, I did a year or two of community college and then decided to get out. Okay. And when you said you, you needed to work, what, what kind of jobs did you have, or was there one specific job? Oh no, I worked. Hell, I worked at Hardee's. I worked at Dunkin' Donuts. Then finally went to work for Publix and stayed there. And then, you know, about the time I turned eighteen, I I had said, man, I, I don't really ever want to work for anybody ever again. So I I quit most of my jobs and started my detailing business. And detailing got into accessories, and from accessories, it got into where I'm at now. Okay detailing so you had a detail shop where you just did car polishing and cleaning and all that kind of stuff yep yeah we did yep we actually did window tinting for a while and then i ended up becoming and then i went to mobile and then after mobile is when i decided this isn't for me anymore i need to do something different <laughs> so <laughs> i need to get out of the sun <laughs> so let's uh let's discuss those those early jobs I've never been one that can that works really well for another company or another person. I've always wanted to be the boss or always became a boss really quick. Was that what you found? Yeah, man, it was, you know, at 14 years old at Dunkin Donuts, I was always I mean at Hardee's at the time, I remember I think a weekend, you know, I was already in in managerial positions but couldn't be called a manager because I was too young. Same thing about a year or two later when I went to Dunkin Donuts, same deal and then I was working at Publix at the same time, and I think I became a bagger at first, and I don't, I don't even think I was a bagger for two days, and they moved me up to stock clerk, and then from there, I ended up just, you know, taking over a whole aisle and stuff that, that the other guys would do, but I, yeah, I'm like you, man, I just couldn't, I always gave it too much, so... I just decided, that's why I decided when I was 18, I'm like, man, I can't work for other people. I'm going to have to do this on my own. Um, so decided to go on my own and do other, you know, I, I started, like I said, I started with that. I did neon lights for a while. At the beginning, I was still in high school and uh, got into neon lighting, which was under the cars back then. It was the tubes, you know, it wasn't like all the LED stuff is nowadays. Right. Um, so, so you had to figure out how to hide the tube under a car so you couldn't see it. And then back then it was still illegal in Florida. So we were fighting the state to, to get them approved. And, um, it was, it was a lot of fun. And then, like I said, I started detailing and then, um, stayed at Publix for a little bit at the same time to have a part-time side gig just in case, but it was just easier to do my own thing. 
And what part of was this? This was in Florida, I'm assuming. And was that in the Orlando area? No, I actually lived in Naples, Florida at the time. Okay, Naples, um, yeah. Yep, my mom was down there, and then when I turned 18, I I thought I'd conquer the world and and go out on my own. And you know, mom said I, I had to pay a hundred dollars a month in rent, and I was like, man, the hell with that. I I think I can do this on my own. What are you talking about? So I decided to move up to Virginia, which is where we first moved when we came to the U.S. was in Richmond. Okay. Um, so I moved up there and started. Since I didn't have the detailing business going up there, I started at a grocery store up there and worked uh, night shift and then detailed and went to school during the day. And the schooling, was that just a, a general education? Yeah, man. It was like going to high school for two more years, you know? It was <laughs> all the all the general stuff. It was like going to high school, but with, with a little bit more freedom. Okay. And how long did you stay? Did you stay in that area until you got done with that that education that part of the education or did you, did you leave before then or stay longer? No, I, I stayed there for a semester or two. And then, um, my mom had moved to Michigan and at the silver, she lived, she lived in Shelby, Michigan. And right next to that is the silver Lake sand dunes. Right. And, uh, I went up there to visit. I don't remember when it was, it was probably like October, November and, uh, decided that that area was pretty awesome. So I need, I needed to get up there. So I packed up all my stuff and got the moving truck and hauled butt to Michigan. And my mom at the time had just bought the, a cottage with a little Mexican restaurant up in the front right there on Silver Lake Sand Dunes, right on the strip. And uh, I lived in the cottage and uh, started a detailing business in Whitehall at the time and then kind of did that. And um, hell, I couldn't even get to work. At one point, so I ended up going and buying a snowmobile so I could get to work. Well, that that ended up being too much fun. So I, I I wanted a snowmobile more than I wanted to work. So I'd get out of the job at you know whatever time I could and go sledding the whole rest of the day. And then in <laughs> April, I think it was April. I bought I bought I went one of the storms. I ended up buying my first Jeep, which is the red YJ that I still own. Okay. Um, and I thought, man, this is brilliant for the snow. This will be awesome. Yeah, that doesn't, a YJ doesn't do very well in snow. So decided to go back to ride my sled. And then when April came around, the, the dunes opened up. So I started uh, going up and playing on the dunes. So, but that lasted till July of that year, man. I didn't stay there very long. It was July and I took the top off the Jeep and I still had to have a sweatshirt on. And I just decided I'm a, I'm not from up here, man. I'm from Puerto Rico. I need some warm weather. So <laughs> I ended up moving back to Orlando in '95. Okay, and so then you're you're somewhere about 19 or 20 at that time. Yeah, I was 20 at that point. Yeah, yep. 20 at that point. Okay. And when you went to Orlando, um, what was the uh, what drew you to or- Orlando? And don't please don't tell me Disneyland. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> I should have said that, but no, no, my brother was here at the time and. I needed somewhere to go and stay and just kind of that, that attracted me to this area. And I stayed with him for a bit and then I uh, kind of went and did my own thing again and started detailing um, heavy. And then in 96, my uncle had called me and said, you know, why don't you move to Jacksonville and run my um, work with me on my fruit business and help me run that better. And so I, I went up there, he distributed fruits and vegetables to all the restaurants in that area up in front of Indiana beach and Amelia Island. Okay. So I went up there and did that for a year 
and then decided Orlando was going to be home. So I came back here and uh, did everything I could, got an apartment, you know, kept my business going and all that good stuff. And then um, kept been here since. And with, uh, with all those different types of jobs that you had, you know, the grocery stores, the fast food, you know, transportation of fruits and vegetables, I would imagine, to the restaurants. What kind of, uh, what, what did those, those job opportunities give you? What did you pull from them now that you can look back on it? Oh, man. I mean, you know, just, I mean, the biggest thing you pulled out of that was just customer service and then your work ethic, you know? I mean, the, you know, they, they, I was, you know, having to be on time, but I mean, more, more than anything, I figured out that you are, you, it almost feels like you weren't ever appreciated enough in, in those kind of companies. So it was just, I was giving it my all and I just, I wanted more. I've always wanted more and, and it just makes me want to go after more every, all the time, man. I don't even know how to explain it. It's just one of those things where, you know, you went to work and then you busted your butt. And at the end of the, at the end of your, when you're going to clock out, they, they still didn't, you know, you still weren't appreciated. So, so it was one of those things where it just kind of made me, made me just more and more just want to get out. <laughs> right. <laughs> figure, figure out how to be my own boss and make my own times and then be appreciated for what I had, you know, for what I gave in every day. But I learned a lot, man. I mean, my uncle's business was the funnest one I think I had. Um, it was just, it just sucked because you had to be up at like four in the morning and go to the warehouse, pick up all the stuff, but just going to all the restaurants, meeting all the people. It was just fun to do that. I drove around, had my own schedule. You know, if I wanted to leave early, I just worked faster. Um, but it was a lot of fun. I had a lot of free time. So I ended up getting a job at Blockbuster at the time, you know, so I always laugh when I see all these Blockbuster memes and all that stuff. But it, you know, it was just, that was, that was a fun job. You know, I had it for fun. I didn't care what I got paid. I didn't care about anything. It was just cool to go there after in the afternoon and work part time. Was, was it cool because of the people that came in or was it, you know, the, the clientele or was it fun because you got uh, free rentals? Oh, no, it was fun because you got to get all the free rentals you wanted, you know, all the, <laughs> anything you wanted to do. I've never been into video games, but that was a big thing back then too, you know, and all the, all the kids would come in and they'd get them, but no, it was just, it was, that was a fun job. That was a job that you, you look forward to going to in the afternoon because it was just a blast. The customers were always, you know, pretty happy and people were bringing it, you know, it was just, it was just a good time. I think it does make a, a difference being in a, in some kind of retail environment where, the people are coming in are there to have fun or to, you know, at least pick up and take home their fun. Whereas so many other retail people are in there, you're dealing with so much of their baggage and their attitude. Do yeah. You, do you have that? Do you get that feeling at times? Well, you know, I've always said, I have a couple of friends that have transmission shops and mechanic shops and man, I don't know how they do their job. I'll be honest with you. I, I don't know. You know, we all have our time in our businesses where, you know, it's, it's not a fun day, but, but at the end of the day, when I go and have lunch with those guys and, and just to hear their stories and hear how their, you know, their attitudes and how their days are going, I don't know how any mechanic wants to have a mechanic shop. I don't know how anybody in a diesel business or, or transmission shop, every person that comes in your door, like 99% of the people that are walking through that door are already pissed off at you. And, and that's rough. 
I mean, you're just dealing with miserable stuff every day. And it's just a downer. Um, so I, I don't know how people do it. You know, I'm in a great business. I, I love my job. I love what I do. Um, it, it's it, when a person walks through the door, it's 1% of my customers are pissed off because most of the time they broke it while they were having fun. So we're fixing it or they're buying something that they really want. You know, it's, it's an extra add on. So we don't have to deal with the negativity right when they walk in the door already mad at you because their car didn't start this morning or they were driving down the highway and their transmission blew apart. It won't shift into gear. You know, it's always a problem. And, and for me, I just, I don't know, man, I look at that and I, I just think I'm glad I'm in what I do. <laughs> right. No, I get that. Um, having worked in repair shops and everything, I, I see, you know, I saw that same thing. People would, would come in and, and, you know, they, they were mad, not necessarily at you, um, as the employee of that establishment because their car was destroyed or not working, functioning properly, whatever you want to call it. But that because of the situation that they were in, they knew it was going to cost them money. They knew they were going to miss work. They knew they were going to miss something and they had to deal with broken equipment. So I totally get it. That doesn't help. You know, you, you said you were, you liked the snowmobiling. Um, so that was probably pretty much your first taste of off-road or did you ever have any motorcycles or, you know, what kind of things did you would do as a kid for entertainment besides, you know, I mean, that had to do with mechanized, you know, whether it was motorized or pedal power. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and it started in Puerto Rico. My dad was always in, in Jeep clubs and Suzuki clubs. Um, okay. we had a, we had a VW Manx. Um, he was always in the Beatles. So it all started there. We used to go to the beach in the Manx and, and all that good stuff. And then when the Suzuki's first came out, which I don't remember the, the models of them all, but I remember he had a brown hard top one, um, before the Samurai. I mean, it was the, the first Suzuki's. We always used to go out. I remember, I remember going to our property. We have seven acres on the river and the club would come out and they'd be climbing up the mountain in front of the property and, you know, just, just all that stuff. The same stuff that we do now with our Jeeps. I mean, we used to do with the Suzuki's and then he got a Suzuki Samurai, a black one, hard top also. And we, we kept going from there. And then after that, you know, I came like, you know, then it went into, we moved to the U S. So. I didn't have an off-road vehicle. I didn't have anything. Um, but when I used to go back, I remember I used to steal my brother's little Honda Spree scooter and, and ride around on that and, you know, and, and all that good stuff. But off-roading wise didn't really start back up for me until 95 when I got my Jeep and got back onto the dunes. Um, snowmobiling was a blast. I only got to do that for, you know, a couple months in, in Michigan. Um, but it, it was still a great time. So, the time in Michigan, um, you're living at the front of the sand dunes along the strip, you said. You were working and you were taking the snowmobile to work because of the winter. That's That, to me, it would suck. Um, at least the idea of having to ride an open vehicle to work in that, in, I know what Michigan weather can be like. What was it like going from that winter and into spring and then seeing the sand dunes opened and everybody out there, they're wheeling. What was, what was that? What's that transition from winter to spring? Like, man, it was, you know, it was weird because 
it was like a, a fast transition. You were you were on the sleds, and then all of a sudden it just stops. And then, well, hell, now we got you know a lot of people don't have that. They're not fortunate enough to have you're off the sled now. Hell, we can go on the dunes. You know, I remember the first week on the dunes, we were riding along, and you know I'm not familiar with the dunes, so I'm just going along, man. And there was like a six or eight foot drop, just a wall, and I didn't see it. And I remember coming off of it with my jeep and i mean just endo in and, and the front tires hit you know and all of a sudden my buddy's like hey stop 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 well, on the four-cylinder wajes in 1993 they had an aluminum motor mount on the passenger side right where the oil filter is <laughs> so now the driver's side was steel they had a steel upgrade but they decided to run the aluminum one on the passenger side so the motor mount breaks in half the, the oil filter catches and it's all that's holding my motor up. Well, there's oil everywhere. So the first thing, you know, you're, you're trying to clean that up before everybody gets there. Um, but it, I learned my lesson on that and man, that's when I started tinkering with it. You know, I just wanted to do stuff with it after that. I remember a guy hooked up to me with paddle tires on a Jeep. And I will tell you that I think till, you know, that was back in 95. I'm still pulling sand out of my Jeep that was from the sand dunes from that day. Um, <laughs> Cause he had to pull me up over all the dunes. Cause it's a one way, you know, where I broke was right on the other side of test Hill. Well then the rest of the, the rest of the way is one way. Like you can't turn around, you can't get off of there. So he had to pull me up all the dunes, either that, or he was just doing it on purpose. But either way I had no top on my Jeep. So when I got back, I bet I had three inches of sand inside the Jeep. <laughs> I mean, them, them paddle tires will pull out a rooster when they get on it, you know. <laughs> but it was a good time, man. Just things that we did up there. But to go from that and then, like I said, in July, you know, you're trying to ride around town and you got to wear a long sleeve shirt. I was like, man, I, I don't know about this. <laughs> I think I got to think I got to head south. <laughs> so that YJ, was it how stock was it? Oh, it was bone stock back then. I mean, it was uh, it was a '93 YJ. It's it still is '93 YJ, two point five liter. Um, you know, just bone stock. It was some old couple owned it, and they only drove it in the summer. So I bought it. I bought it at a dealership, and man, it was a blast, though. And what was besides the motor mount? What was your first upgrade? Oh, after that, I think I put tires on it right away, and that was it. I didn't do anything else to it. Um, I had that thing for 95. I moved to here in 90, late 95, and then I went to Jacksonville in 96 to 97, and then came here to Orlando in 90, 97. I still hadn't done anything to it. I think it was still on 31-inch tires. And uh started detailing again heavy. And I met a buddy of mine, Chuck, and we I was at his house one Friday. I used to go over there every Friday and detail all of his vehicles and all his friends' cars and all that. And then um, one Friday, I'm like, hey, man, you mind if we lift my Jeep up out here? Because he kept telling me that we needed to lift it, needed to lift it. So I ended up lifting the Jeep up. We did a spring over on it and put some 33s on it. And uh, that's from there, man, it just started the builds. And how did that, was it doing your own work that, that got you into into doing the Jeep business into Jeepers Den or was did did you start that from the ground up or did you buy it or did you work for them and what was the give me some history there 
that was on me. Um, in 98, I lifted my Jeep and then I remember probably, probably about a month later, I met a guy out at what they used to call the SeaWorld mud hole, um, named Barry. And Barry had a Jeep just like mine, four cylinder, older one. It was like an 89. So he had the old carbureted throttle body injector or whatever. It was a, that thing was a turd. And, um, we used to go out there and have a blast. And then he had a Toyota pickup truck on 44s, like a 1985 or 86, 44 inch super swampers. So when we used to go down to the mud hole and he'd bring the Toyota, we used to just hook up a toe strap to my Jeep. And he'd go through, and then if I couldn't make it, he'd just pull me the rest of the way through. You know, we just played. And so one day I got, I told Barry, I was like, man, I said, I think we should start a Jeep club in Orlando. And uh, he's like, whatever, dude, you do whatever you want to do. And Barry's quiet. He doesn't really get into all that. So um, started the Orlando Jeep Club, got everything done, corporate, you know, did the bank accounts, did everything how it was supposed to be done because I, I went up to Ocala Jeep Club and really learned from them on what I should do down here. Spent about a year with them just, just shadowing and, and learning about the club. So on October 24th of 98, I that was the actual first day of the Orlando Jeep Club in, in here in Orlando. And it was full parts his grand opening here with the Orlando store. So, man, I went and set up a little table, had my Jeep parked there. And before I knew it, I think we had like 30 members just from that day, just at their store. And that was pretty much the beginning of it. And I uh, kept going with that, still doing my detailing stuff. And about probably sometime around then, um, I had met my wife at the time. Well, we got we weren't married yet, but I met her in 97. I think it was July of 97. And uh, she was like, you're crazy. I don't know. But it was just us doing everything. I mean, we had to do all the all the positions, you know, the secretary, treasurer, everything, because nobody was wanting to step up. So we had a party at my house. I remember December of 98. And at that point, we had a group of guys that were older gentlemen, well off, uh, called the Gator Crawlers. Well, they joined our club and. Bill Austin and a couple of the other guys that were in that club, they, you know, they helped me get through to getting VPs and getting everything set up to where, you know, they stepped up and helped. And we had a newsletter and all kinds of stuff. I mean, it worked out really well. And in 99, the club just grew like crazy. I think we were already at about a hundred members at the time. And then in 90, about 98, 99, I, I had figured out that I didn't want to be in that sun that I was talking about. So I got, went over to my, um, Jessica's stepfather, John, and I told him, well, what do you do for a living? And he said, I do real estate appraising. So I'm like, well, I need to do it because you sit in an office all day and uh, you're doing pretty well for yourself and I can't do the sun stuff anymore. So I went and got my appraisal license and did that till 2002. But I also detailed at the same time, still kept detailing. Club was growing. I don't remember what year it was, but around sometime around 99 i remember i had a house right off of i4 in winter park and we had a carport with pebble 57 57 rock which is crushed concrete okay and i'd go out there and pull transmissions and work on people's jeeps on my back and that crap and uh so i don't know when it really started but i started doing stuff for people on the side just for fun and working on my own stuff on my jeep i always worked on my own cars but i didn't start doing the jeep stuff till probably about then um, 99, 2000. And then at the time I had just, I was already doing the appraisal stuff 
Well, I bought a property out in Wedgefield and got an acre and a half. And then I, we built a house in 01. And that's when it really started getting heavy because then I was able to work in a garage. So we worked in our garage. I mean, I used to I used to lift all kinds of stuff. Hell, I did a long arm Rubicon Express. And I remember I went to put the tires on the Jeep and I couldn't get it out of the garage. <laughs> so I had to put the damn thing on jacks and roll it outside and then put the tires back on it. It was, you don't think about that stuff when the garage doors closed and you got to open the door and the door won't open because the top's higher than the door. <laughs> Have you ever made that mistake twice? No, I never made it again. <laughs> that's, that's how that you learn. Good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, after that, you know, after that in 2002, um, sometime around 2000 or 2001, I remember I used, I had Jeepers Den was already like a thing in my head. Um, and I, I made a couple stickers and it was Jeepers and then Den was a separate word and, you know, no business, no nothing. I didn't, I didn't have any, it was just a name I came up with and I always wanted a shop that had a den where all my friends could come and hang out and have a place for them to hang out and we could sit there and, and tell lies about our off-roading and all that stuff. Right. Right. Um, so that was kind of my dream. And then in 2002, I came up with this wild idea that I was going to retire in June and I didn't, I didn't want to work no more. And I wanted to just kind of do my thing. Well, that didn't last very long. It lasted about two weeks and I was bored out of my mind. So then I went back to work till noon doing appraisals. And then I think it was hell January 1st, but sometime in December, I told Jessica at the time that, you know, I was going to start a, a Jeep business. Um, everybody thought I was an idiot and crazy, but honestly what got me into it, man, is I just got sick and tired of how I was treated around town when it came to buying products. And I wasn't an internet guy, so I didn't want to deal with Quadratech. I didn't want to deal with those guys. I always liked dealing with the lo- with the loyal shops and it was always something. Um, so I just decided I could do it better. And January 1st of 2003 is when I did everything, all the corporation, everything was done. I opened the shop. I worked out of my house for a year. Um, did pretty damn well from working from a house. And then November of 2003, we got this building that we're in now. And at the time it was just Alicia's brother, Travis was working with me and me, myself, him and Jessica at the time started remodeling this place. And we didn't open here till February 2nd of 2004 was opening day. And we weren't even done yet. We just opened because people kept asking, when are you all opening? When are you all opening? And we just finally decided to open it. I was still painting the damn showroom when they, when they finally started coming in and it hasn't slowed down since. Well, that's, that's pretty good. And you weathered the 2000, that 2008, um, 2009, 2010, you know, the depression that, well, they called it a recession, but, you know, basically it was a depression. And uh, how was that for you to get through those those lean times where everybody, you know, all the guys that were spending money, contractors and building people, all of a sudden weren't doing their work? But, yes, I mean, we're heavy. We're heavy in the trucks. We're heavy in it. But our heaviest market was always Jeep. So I guess I didn't do too bad, Rich. I mean, I was I was still doing We Rock back then. So throughout those years when everybody else was hurting, you know, I was, I was having fun. But, yeah, I mean, we noticed it in 08. You know, the the contractors that every six months were coming in and getting a new truck and new wheels and tires, they, were, they weren't coming in every six months. 
that was about the only thing we noticed. Um, you know, it slowed down enough, but everything kind of always fell into place for me. And around the time when that recession time was hitting. So, so yeah, so around that time, the contractors that were, you know, every six months coming in, they weren't doing that, but the Jeep guys never really stopped doing their stuff. They still wanted to have fun. You know, that, that market never really slowed down, but like I said, everything was always falling into place. So around that time, 2008 was about the time that I had, I had two techs that wanted to move on and it kind of worked out because then I was able to keep one or two techs. I think it was two techs stayed, two techs left. And then, so everything kind of worked itself. Um, but we didn't, we didn't notice it like other places did. I mean, I had friends go out of business. I had, you know, other friends that were, you know, losing their homes and all kinds of stuff over it, but we were fortunate enough and I've never really been, I've never, I've never been bad in business. I've never been in debt. So, so those kind of times didn't, don't really phase me. Um, I don't, you know, when you, when you owe a lot of money and you do all that, that's when you get hurt on that stuff. But I never got in those positions. So, so I never really felt any of it. Well, good. So what year did you, uh, did you, did you get involved? I mean, I don't, I, I still can't figure out how you got involved rock crawling when there is not a <laughs> single rock bigger than a, than, you know, what a piece of crushed rock is in, uh, in Florida. Man, so we started going out to, I started wheeling out of state in probably about 98, late 98. Um, I didn't even have a locker on my Jeep and I was going to Teleco at the time with some friends from down here. And then in 99, I was fortunate enough to to start kind of venturing off. And I was like, man, I want to start going other places. So in 99, I mean, we would go out of state 10, 15 times a year, um, you know, at the time. And I got started going over to Alabama and met Keith at Off-Road Connection and started going to Gray Rock and all that good stuff. Okay. Um, and in 99, I, you know, I went through, through a phase where we were up in Alabama and we lost a good friend of ours. Mo, he rolled his Jeep. And, and after that, you know, I went six months where I didn't want to wheel or anything. So I didn't want to have anything to do with my Jeep. And finally some friends came over and they're like, we're going to go out. So we got back into it. Um, just kept going to to Teleco and we'd go to Alabama and we started going to River Rocks sometime in late, you know, about 2003, 2004 timeframe. So we were always wheeling out of state and, oh man, let me think. I went to Moab in 2003 for the first time we did our Moab Rubicon adventure, um, which that's a whole nother conversation, but we did that and I think it was 2004 or late 2003, I went to went and watched a new rock race with Kyle up in um, Paragon, I think it was. Okay. And I met Charlie, which you did an interview with him. Yep. And um, <laughs> I was hooked, man. I mean, it was one of those things where I'm like, man, I know I can do just as good as these guys and have a blast doing it. So... So I started looking into it and I remember Charlie, Charlie's buggy was just, man, he just gave it a hell, you know, on them. I think at the time he had Unimog axles even back then. Um, but just, just meeting all those guys and everything like that was a blast. And then in 2004, I think I came to one of your runs, um, and then went to a couple, 
man, it was New Rock and then there was E Rock, wasn't it? Yes. Back then? Yep. So I think I went to one of those and then I think I came up in 2005. I came to watch one more. So I had a customer, this girl that I did a, I did a YJ for. She wanted it identical to my red one. Hers was black at the time. I built it up and a week later she comes in with some black eyes, man. And I'm like, Hey, what the hell happened to you? You know? And she's like, I rolled my Jeep last night. I was drunk and it's, it's parked out on the road. I didn't report it or anything. So want to know what you want to do. Nobody was hurt. It was just me. So I went and picked up the Jeep, brought it here, called her up and told her, you know, this is how much it's going to cost to fix it. She's like, the hell with that. Can you sell it? And I'm like, well, I can try. So about a month goes by and I called her and I said, listen, what do you want to do with this Jeep? Cause nobody's biting on anything. It's pretty destroyed. And she's like, well, what can be done with it? I said, I'll tell you what, sell it to me. I want to get into rock crawling and it's a perfect Jeep. I don't need the cage off of it. I don't need the windshield frame. I don't need the fenders, all the stuff that was destroyed on it. I didn't need. So if you remember, that's my first, that was the first rig. It was black with the red JD stickers on it. And I built that up in 2005. I started it, started building it. And I, I didn't, you know, kind of watching what you're spending and everything like that. You know, I needed an Atlas. I needed the, you know, a front axle. I needed this. I needed that. Well, at the time, Rancho had just had the, the buggy built. And in 2006, I came to one of your races in the, in the Rancho buggy. Um, when Rancho would, really didn't even know what we were doing, Shane just said, just do your thing. Just I don't want to know about it. <laughs> so I brought the Jeep. I, I brought the buggy up, if you remember, in the trailer. And uh, you put me in the unlimited class. Yes. And I... And I and you, I had you know forty inch tires, thirty nine and a half on on Ram, and it was tube chassis. So you said I had to be in the unlimited class. Well, I had no clue what the hell I was getting myself into, man. And uh, I remember you guys put us on the right in the middle of Jellico. There was the one course that had the big drop, and in the middle it had that it had like a a bundle of rocks. And Steve Kraft was my crew chief at the time. Well, he was my spotter too. And we didn't have no headsets. We didn't have nothing. I had my carbon fiber turtle caps on, no fire suits, Ray-Bans on. And we went out and had an absolute blast. And I came down that hill, and I remember I floored it because I was going to roll it. The driver's tire hits. I do a full rollover in the air, land on my tires almost into the crowd. Ray-Bans were crooked. I'll never forget. Ray-Bans were all crooked. Helmet was about to come off. I looked over at Steve. I said, are we in? And the judge, he looks over at the judge and the judge says, you're good. And I remember front digging that baby over and just trying to hit those rocks in the middle, man. I was hooked after that. I was like, <laughs> that was it for me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Rancho never figured it out, right? No, Rancho heard about it right away. And I got a phone call from, from them. And the only thing Shane, Shane said to me, he says, are you okay? And I said, I'm good, man. He says, perfect. I'll see you when you get back. And I said, you don't care about the buggy? He says, nope, I just want to make sure you're okay. And I said, the buggy's good. I rolled it, but I never touched the roof. And he started laughing. And after that, man, we've were we were we've been buddies since. We've been hooked. And, I mean, I've done so much with that buggy. I own it now, fully. And um, it's been great. You know, I mean, I still I still have it. I just put a new motor in it, putting a new motor in it now, rewiring the thing because it was built in 05 by Rob Bonnie. And uh, the buggy's been awesome. But, you know, still have my Wee Rock rig. So I did that and, um, we did, let me see. I started, I started in the stock modified class just after that 06 run with the buggy. 
because I did. I, I finally figured out that that buggy was way outclassed, and I had no business being in the unlimited class, anyways. With, I mean, at the time, what was his name? Dean was in there, and Dean who Bullock, had the yeah. you know, who had the the Maxis buggy at the time? It was a moon buggy, one seater. Jesse Haynes. No, it wasn't Jesse because Jesse was still in. I think Jesse was in Pro Mod when I was in Stock Mod. Okay, but I, you know, all these guys that have been around forever. We're all there, and I'm here. I am in their class. I'm like, man, I'm out of here. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta finish my stock mod rig. <laughs> <laughs> so, but being in the business, you know, man, I, I, from the beginning, I decided that the pro mod class, the stock, the the unlimited it was nothing. To, it was nothing for me, anyways. I liked, I liked the the rigs to look like they were real cars, and my customers to be able to relate to it. And then, I, you know, I like the technicality of it, too. Like, you, you just had to you had to really use your vehicle. Um, so, but, you know, my rig was, hell, you remember it was a YJ. It was as stock as they come. Had a Dana 44 from a Cherokee in the back. And I had a Dana 30 in the front for a long time. And um, stick shift. I mean, dude, it was it was a blast. That's for sure. So you're uh, you had your spotter back then when you were doing We Rock was Scott was that correct? Yep, old Scott Pitts. Yep, he still he still gets on me about getting back into it. Really? So you guys oh, yeah. come out and be Team Burger King? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's about right, man. Him and his <laughs> him and the Burger King guy. <laughs> that always cracked yeah. me up. <laughs> oh yeah, no, he uh. <laughs> you, I don't remember where we were at one time and, and little rich comes around and he's, I had a King Scott Pitts hates the Burger King guy. Right. He, yeah. He just is, he's terrified of it. Um, so we'd always mess with him. We put the mask like up on the wall under his bunk bed. I mean, we did all kinds of stuff and it, it just would, it would terrorize him. Well, little rich comes around. Oh, I know where we were at grand nationals in Texas. And little rich came around and I had that mask and he's like, let me have that mask. And I told little rich, I said, Hey man, I'm gonna let you in on something. I don't, I'm not responsible what happens to you. Like, don't kick me off the race. Like I, I looked at rich and I told him, I said, I'm not, I'm not going to be responsible for anything that happens to you. You can't disqualify me. I have nothing to do with it. You're doing this on your own. Give me the mask. So he comes around the side of the trailer, man, with that mask on. I remember Scott ran. And, and man, we laughed our asses off, but I just remember telling Rich, you can't disqualify me. I don't, if he beats your ass, I'm not, I'm not responsible. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> so, but that was great nationals. That was, uh, right there in Texas. That's I remember awesome. that one. <laughs> so what were, uh, what were some other stories like that from you guys competing that, that, uh, what did you like? You did all stock nationals in Hannibal, correct? Yep, we did all stock. Man, we did a lot of stuff. I mean, we ran from 2005 to 2006 to 2010. I'm sorry, okay. I ran till 2010. But man, I could. Oh God, the stories. You know, Dustin. Dustin was the best at announcing. Man, that guy. That guy would have a blast with me shifting through the gears. If you remember, I'd, I'd get I'd get on an area, and if you remember, I used to shift from first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. Man, and just he would him. go wild over that. Oh, man, he would just go wild. He's like, look at him shifting through the gears. Them squirrels are getting tired. I mean, I just remember him yelling all the time. And, I mean, we had a blast, man. All the guys, you know, you look at – looking back, you look at Derek West, you know, and, and watching us progress together. Um, he moved up to the Pro Mod class, 
And I, I think at the end of the day, you know, I hope he hears this, but I think at the end of the day, he moved up to the pro my class because he knew I was coming after his ass. But, <laughs> but you know, we'll, we'll never know, right? You know, I love Derek, man. He's a cool cat. But, you know, we had, um, oh, God, Kurt, you know, he was awesome. He always had, you know, him and Derek had the, if I had to say they had always the, they pushed the damn stock modified class to the limit. You know, I never, I never cheated at all. I never did anything, not saying that they cheated, but they would push your rule book. I mean, they knew how to do that. I never learned how to do that. I just, I wanted a stock mod Jeep. I wanted to just, you know, it was identical to my other Jeep. It just was meant, it was lighter because it didn't have all the seats and all that crap in it. But I'll never forget we were in somewhere in Tennessee and, and you had to come up to me and you go, Hey man, I gotta, I gotta measure your fenders and your hood because they're claiming that it's lowered. And I was thinking to myself, like, man, I'm the most stock vehicle in this whole damn group, but do what you got to do. And and I'm thinking to myself, I wasn't that guy, but I was I was going to say something to you, like, why don't you go check Kurt's hood, you know? Oh, like, we did. Me alone. We did. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I remember that, you know what I'm saying? But it was just, I never was that guy, so I never said anything back then. And you and you always said something to us that, that has always stuck with me from the days I started racing with you. And it was always, if you were in that position, would you be bitching about it? And because I came to you one day and I was saying something to you about somebody hitting a cone or something. And he said, you said that to me. And I, ever since then, I was just like, you know what? <laughs> it is what it is. If if you didn't see it or the judge didn't see it, I ain't saying nothing about it. Because it's just, it's just a bunch of bitching that's not going to work, you know? Right. And that always, it's a karma thing is what I see. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. it always I, comes around to get you. Well, it was funny because you said that to me, and and like I said, I still I say it to my kids, I say it to my kids now. I'm like, hey, uh, <laughs> she'll she'll be barrel racing, and she'll say something. She'll say something to me. I'm like, if 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 that was you, would you would you would you be bitching about it if you were doing that? And she's no. I'm like, okay, well then drop it. <laughs> so, but no, I mean, I mean, I remember Eric Miller. Um, <laughs> you remember we were at Sequatchie. And, uh, oh God! I, I remember that it? nightmare event. <laughs> so we're there, and uh, nightmare event, man. I had I had to pull a, a super duty from behind my trailer and my 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 spot because they blocked my whole damn spot and I broke my rear axle. And I had to go back down there, so I had to with a broken axle. I'm sitting here yanking on some dude's super duty. He comes <laughs> back after I'm working on his. I'm working on my Jeep at the time because I slid the thing sideways. You couldn't get through the drive. And he comes back pissed off because I yanked on his truck. But either way, I remember Eric showing up. Eric had ran a couple runs runs with us at the time in that. Remember that gold Rubicon he had? Yep. Um, and I came to you and I said, "Man, like, should we let this guy run? I mean, that Jeep's dangerous. If his spotter gets near it, it's going to get cut just looking at it." And you're like, ah, you know this. And I remember you made them put some tape over some cuts or something like that because it was so bad. Yeah. But that guy, he had destroyed. I mean, the first race he came to, that Rubicon was like brand new. I don't. I think he wheeled like every day because by the time he came to the next race, you know, it was it was just one of those things where you're just like, what the hell happened here deep? It was destroyed. I mean, he must have rolled it over 50 times. But – I remember saying that to you there, and I, then I remember his spotter got cut that one day on his arm, if you remember that. Yeah, that I think nasty. that was up at Jellicoe when he got cut. That's was where, it Jellicoe? I, I remember. I thought yeah. it was Jellicoe's where he got cut, but I could be I could <clears throat> be wrong. 
Yeah, but I remember he got cut really bad from the Jeep, and I came over, and I'm like, I told you this shit was going to happen. <laughs> yep. So, and that's but, when we changed the know, rules. <laughs> yeah. And just to see all these guys, you know, all of us have progressed, and some have moved on and done and done more with it. Um, you know, it's just been really cool, man. I mean, it was a cool time. I ran for a while, and, hell, I, you know, look at, look at uh, Tennessee at the what's-her-name's place. Julia. Um, yep. Julia's place. I mean, that, those were some awesome times, man. I mean, it, it's just, it, you know, just to watch the progression of the sport and then to see it. I'm, I'm just amazed that it's not where it was at back then. Like you would think that the rock crawling part of it, and I see Jesse doing some stuff and some other stuff going on, but I've been out of it pretty good. Um, I know I've been trying to come back and come see you and run with you guys a couple times a year, but the damn, you know, our shows fall at the same time. So it's been kind of tough to figure that out, but I still got my rig. I did the XRA too. Um, Rancho was the main sponsor of it for a while. If you remember that. And Correct. So they, they had asked me, they said, Hey man, like we, we'd like for you to go up to Indiana and race um, up at uh, Badlands. And I'm like, sounds good, man. I'm on my way, you know, no problem. Loaded up couple buddies jumped in with me we haul ass up there 19 hour drive and i got to race a total of a minute and 21 seconds in two days <laughs> and and i called i remember calling shane on the ride home and it was miserable we had to sleep in the trailer we couldn't find a hotel room in that town we couldn't do anything um cold and i mean and and all you know mike was was right i mean you know he makes me go through tech and i had to add a ball valve and all this stuff. And it was, it was just hell. And then I get done and I remember calling Shane on the way back and I say, Hey, I don't care if you're a sponsor or not or what is going on, but I, I'm not ever going back. I'm done. And he's like, well, what's going on? I said, dude, I said, I can go to my, we rock stuff and I get to run 40 minutes. You know, if I screw up and run 10 minutes in every course, I'm still running 40 minutes that day. Like I'm having a blast, you know, I I'm sitting behind the wheel for a while. And, and then I get to watch all my buddies do stuff and <clears throat> all that now, you know, and, I told him, I said, I'm not, I'm not doing this XRA crap again. And then the next time I went up is they called me and they said, Hey, Rob Bonnie needs a car for XRA nationals. And it was in Jellico. So I took the buggy up to Jellico and I told Rob, I said, do not ruin. Cause I know, you know how Rob Bonnie is. Um, <laughs> I said, do not destroy my rig. And, uh, and he did destroy my rig. He destroyed a wheel and a caliper and some other stuff trying to keep, you know, trying to, he was ahead of Shane for a bit and then that happened. And I don't, you know, after that, I was like, stop, like you got to Cause Rob would have kept driving it till the wheel came off. It would have just kept going in three wheels. Right. You yes. know how he is. <laughs> but speaking of Shannon, we were at Sequatchie and I, I knew who Shannon was, I knew who Nick were, but I didn't know them. We were hanging around our RV at the time and he had parked next to us. And I remember him coming down. We were around our campfire. And this guy walks up behind me and he goes, Hey man, I think I may build a car for your, for the stock mod and uh, get into y'all's class. It looks like it'd be fun. And Shannon was just running pro mod back then. And he had that black, the black, uh, it was like a TJ or something he had built for that. Um, and Nick was a spotter. And I mean, those guys are a trip for sure. Um, and Shannon, this guy's standing behind me and he says that. And I said, well, there's always room for people behind me in, in the mine, you know? And I turned around and it was Shannon Campbell and I'll never forget that day. Cause after that, you know, I can call Shannon. We, we, we're always been buddies. We, you know, I see him in Moab or whatever, and we've always been cool. You know what I mean? But it, he laughed and just kind of hung out with us and drank a bunch of beer that night. 
But that was just when he had signed. Uh, I think he had just signed with Monster, if you remember. Okay. He had the uh, so he he used to drink some other kind of beer, and then he had to switch to to the the beer he had to drink from there on because of Monster or something. So and I remember him telling this story about it, and he's like, "Yeah, I'd like this beer now because they're paying the bills." <laughs> so, but but I remember telling him that I was like, "Yeah, there's always space for you, you know, behind us in the line or something like that." And I turned around and it was him. I was like, "Oh hell!" <laughs> he goes, "I like you already." And then him and Nick are standing right there. But they've always been cool. Like I said, man, just watching all of us, you know, going to Julia's place and watching Jesse Haynes do that shootout. I mean, that's I've watched that video probably 15 times. Because um, remember, at that time, I had Chris coming out and recording everything. Yep. So that was part of our We Rock videos that we that we used to put out those DVDs we used to do, and you know, just watching all that stuff back then, it'd just be cool to to see it take off and come back and do that. I mean, the spectators just love that kind of stuff. I think a lot of it has to do with is that people aren't driving the old rigs as much. Um, new guys get into it because they've got a JK, and then uh, you know, and then they end up buying a JL or a gladiator and you know nobody wants to really beat the piss out of those coming out to an event so it's it's the buggy guys you know the we tried to push the the mod stock and the pro mod classes for so long that it's now become truly you know unlimited that's where that's where the car count is at that in in sportsman where guys can bring their trail rigs out and beat on them and compete um sometimes they're they're more of a handful than the than the pros are because the pros are you know the cars are all built pretty pretty similar the uh the driving skills or styles are you know they they're they're more experienced is the i guess the best way to put it so the comp- competition typically is a little closer although you know there's still two or three guys that that are always going to be on top but the it's you know, it's a, it is different. The sport is different now. And I don't know if it'll ever get back to those, those early years until people decide it's time to start bringing out JKs and beating on them. Yeah. That's going to be a fun time to watch, man. Cause I mean, even my little short wheelbase and some of the pro mods, you know, the, the wheelbases, we still had trouble going through the courses that y'all would set up. I can't imagine trying to take a four door school bus through there. I mean, it would be, you know, and I have I have every model Jeep, and and every one of them have, you know, I do certain things with all of them. Um, I'm like you said, I'm not going to take my Gladiator and do that, but I will take my Gladiator and go overlanding and go enjoy nature and go enjoy trail riding and all that stuff. But I'm not going to go and rock crawl with it. Right. Um, I just I, I don't have any interest. I got the buggy, I got the LJ, I got the buggies, the other buggy, I got the YJ. I don't I don't need to take a sixty thousand dollar plus car and go beat on it. And, and, you know, that's, and that's just doing a lift kit. That's not even doing axles on them. You know, you gotta, you know, you're spending 15 grand more just to do axles on these things anymore. Exactly. And I think that's, that's, that's part of the, uh, that's part of why the sport is slower to grow. It's getting those, now it's trying to get those guys that have, have built buggies, get involved into that, into the sport, um, and taking their trail rig buggies you know, truggies, whatever you want to call them and, and moving that direction, but it's happening. So that's, that's good. You know, I don't, I don't know if it'll ever be, you know, it's like NASCAR, you know, NASCAR is not the same as it used to be. Um, definitely not as big. And I think that, uh, 
that the mentality or the interests of everybody has not everybody but you know there's there's interest swings and yeah i think the i think the sports all turn for sure i would right. agree with that i mean look at koh look at ultra four look at our you know we rock look at their nascar like you said it's it's all gonna it's all gonna change i mean i left in 2010 it, it you know it wasn't it, it was time for me to focus on the business right and you know i i spent a lot of years where you know i was gone and I'd come back and this and that. And I wasn't doing events, but I mean, we'd go to offer at Impact in Vegas. We do SEMA, we do you know Expo and, and Pomona. We whatever we could find to go do and do seminars and learn more. I mean, we were we were just a wealth of knowledge at that point. You know, just trying to soak it all in. Um, not a wealth of knowledge, but learning it. You know, and um, you know, in '04, Alicia came on board here, and 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 you know, probably about about February or so, she came on board and started working here and, and took over, you know, with, it was just her and I at the front counter and her brother. Um, and the hell I was, hell I was turning wrenches back then. So, you know, when I left in, in 2006 to go run, I'd leave, I was still a mechanic too. So when I leave, I was, you know, hurting the shop in a way, but man, I needed it. You know what I'm saying? I, I needed to do it. And it was a blast. You know, we bought the trailer and all that good stuff. And then in 2010, like you, you know, I stopped running and I wanted to focus on the business. So I spent two years. I still had the race trailer at the time. So in 2012 is when I decided, you know, it's time for us to start doing events. And man, you talk about evolving. I mean, it's just everything, everything changes and we're, you know, we're back to not doing as many. But I think in 2012, I think I did 42 events or something. Wow. And, and then in 13, I did 37, I think it was. And, you know, I've dwindled them down because you figure out which ones are worth it, which ones are not worth going to. Because once you're setting up a 44-foot trailer at the time with a big canopy, NASCAR-style canopy, and you set up a whole showroom, they have to be worthwhile. I mean, it you know, it takes six, seven, eight hours to set up, three hours to tear down. But, you know, you, you got to make sure that all these events are worth it. So when when I was wanting to come back to We Rock at the time, I was doing too many events, so I couldn't I couldn't schedule anything out because it was do I go make money or do I go race? <laughs> nope, true, and and you know that's making the money. You need to make the money before you can go out and race. Yeah, and you know, and, and still wheeling. You know, you're still going out wheeling, going to Moab, going to the Rubicon, going to you know. And for me, going to the Rubicon's fifty hours. You know, going to going to Moab is thirty four to thirty eight hours. So, still wanting to do all this stuff and having to do events and all that good stuff. So, you know, a lot of things changed, but yeah, I've been, I've been looking at it heavy. Um, and, and when I say I got the rig, man, I, I got the rig. It's, it hasn't been, nothing's been done to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's sitting there with four flat tires and about once every three months I've put air in the tires and I run it around the property and, and, uh, and, you know, run it through the citrus grove, just hauling ass, bouncing it around and enjoying it. <laughs> awesome. So you're doing a lot of, I noticed you've been doing a lot of social runs. Like you just got, you just got back from doing Death Valley. Um, talk about those. Are they, are those to help build the business as well? No, not really. I mean, like I said, I started dwindling the show, the shows down the last couple of years. Um, you know, last two years ago, um, I bought the the property here about you know, 30 acres in Christmas, Florida. And, 
we got citrus farm and all that stuff. So I wanted to dwindle down the shows, but then I also wanted to be able to keep doing the events, the fun events that I call them. So I'll get, what I do is I just, I either have where I open it up to our customers um, and we'll go, I'll take a bunch of customers and we'll go to Georgia. We'll go to Tennessee. We'll go to Moab, you know, like I'll haul, we'll haul 12 vehicles out to Moab and then some people fly out, some people ride with us and then we go out and have a great time. But more, more than anything, man, it's just, I do them because I want to do the events. Um, you know, for a long time there, I was just putting on events and then anybody was allowed to come if you found out about them. And I don't know, maybe four or five years back, I, I ran into a situation where, you know, we go out to this place and we're wheeling and gentleman breaks 10 feet into the trail and you know, he's not my customer. So I just stand back and watch the other shop guys that are there that, that are his customer. They don't, you know, they're not doing anything. So finally we jump in there, we fix it. We get him back on the trail. He gets the wheel the whole weekend. And a Thursday after that, we come over to our social place. We, we used to hang out at Sonic. And on Thursday, I come over and I'm looking at, I look at Alicia and I'm like, does he have new steering on his Jeep? She's like, yeah. I said, did you buy it from us? Nope. I was like, okay. So that changed my whole, after that, I was kind of, I got sour on that. And I just said, you know what, from now on, if you're not my customer, you're not going to be invited. So, so we got back into that and now we, you know, we'll do, we'll do all kinds of stuff, man. We, do overlanding we'll do wheeling trips we do stuff but it's mostly just to we just invite the customers and it's just something for us to do and it's just i like doing it with other people not you know not just me going out and one guy or something i mean it, sometimes you prefer just to be the one guy that you hang out with all the time but most of the time we invite a bunch of people and have a good time we just got back from death valley um we'll link up with people you know like this trip we did with modern jeeper adventures with Corey um and jesse and uh, Del Albright came out in March and we did a Death Valley trip and he was there. And I'll tell you what, that guy knows Death Valley like no other. <laughs> no, that's very true. But then again, they're yeah. both about the same age. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you know from Corey on that one, huh? <laughs> oh, not from Corey, from Del. Del. <laughs> yeah, Del's... Uh, I mean, Dell said he was going. He's been going out to Death Valley once a year like that for thirty-five or thirty-six years. Right. I mean, he he knows that area like like nothing, man. It was awesome and just to learn. Because last year when I went in March, I had no idea where I was going. I had no idea about Death Valley, and I've never done any research on it. Nothing, you know. You just learn a little bit here and there. So Corey's like, "Hey, man, why don't you come out and, and hang out with us?" And uh, so I went out there in March, and man. <laughs> you talk about every time you turn a corner it's just something else is amazing you know just when you saw when you think you saw something awesome you just you're, you're just gonna see something else that's better in in two feet you know and it was just it was exceptional and i mean i've done a couple years back i like doing stuff with my daughter um and now i got you know i got a five-year-old and a two-month-old so um with Kayla, my oldest, she's 17 now, but, you know, started doing stuff with her and we did a Colorado trip for two weeks where we just we live out of the Jeep. We don't, we don't get hotels. We don't do any of that. Um, so I did that with her in 17, I think it was. And then in 18, Jeep Jamboree invited me out to Rubicon. I did that with her and we did the, um, Montrose trail. And I mean, we just, man, I like getting out there. I know. I, know, I love wheeling. I love going fast. I love all that part, but 
just going out there and putting out a tent and camping like we did when we were younger is, is just something I want to make sure my kids get to enjoy and and see the area. She went out to Death Valley with me in March, and man, it's just, it's just awesome to get them out. And you know, when my five year old gets to be old enough, I'll take her and do the same thing. That's great. That's cool. So, is there any place in the United States that's on your life list that you want to wheel that you haven't yet? Um, yeah, I got to do I got to do quite a few of them this year in September. I always go on a birthday trip, and uh, Unlimited LJ Adventure decided that they were going to do their adventure the week of my birthday. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll do that one. So I, was, you know, I've always sponsored those guys. I always stand behind them. I got an LJ, and um, so went with them this year and we went from Oklahoma to Missouri and that, that took a bunch of places off my list. Um, the videos, I think that the YouTube video comes out this Thursday, if I'm not mistaken, I'll have to pull out the date, but they they did a five part YouTube, um, videos that they're going to do. What's his name from 320? I think it's called, um, Blake and all them guys came out and did a whole recording on it. So, but we got to do, Oh man, s'more. That was a place I always wanted to go to, um, and I got to do it. And let me tell you, that place will tear up some tires. But it was a blast. We had a great time, good group. We went over to um, – I'd always wanted to go down to Disney and do the waterfalls and all that, so I did that. Um, next year, I'm going to do Burris Valley. I want to do that next. Um, you know, still my favorite place, I think, so far, man, is when you took us to Grand Nationals. Steve Kraft and I took off and decided to go take the buggy and his TJ and his wife's TJ and go to Clayton, Oklahoma. Right. When, uh, when it was open and slim, you know, I got to go over to slim's house, got him out of his, out of the, off the couch. We went and played and I, I still so far, that's been my favorite place that I wheeled when it came to being horribly hard. I mean, I, I like a challenge. So so that's one of those places. And then I, next year I'm, I'm going to plan Burr's Valley and then I'm going to plan, I'm going to go up and see Corey in Colorado. I want to hit, I want to bring the buggy and the LJ and I want to hit all the hard stuff in Colorado that he can put me on. Um, you know, just, I like both, man. I like both sides. Never been interested in KOH. Um, I remember when, when Rancho was the main sponsor of it at the beginning, they had asked me if I wanted to run and, when you tell them that they got to spend thirty, forty thousand dollars on the buggy to update it, that kind of slows that that whole idea down. But um, I don't know. Tony Pellegrino called me the other day and uh, <clears throat> asked me if I was still interested in KOH because a couple of years back when he had gotten out of the buggy, we we talked, um, and it was you know it was an option for me to get, you know, get the buggy and get behind the wheel of that one. But I decided against it. Just man, being from Florida to, to run KOH is just tough. You know, it's, we don't have anywhere to practice here. We don't have, so I'd have to be out away from home and away from the business for so long doing pre-runs and all that stuff that it's never really interested me from that aspect of it. I like the racing part of it. I'd love to, I'd love to do it anyways. It's, you know, it's, we, it's in our blood, right? Um, so, but I don't know. And Tony Pellegrino called me the other day and said that they're, I didn't, I didn't really get to talk to him too much because of where I was at, but he had asked me if I still was thinking about it, that he was going to, they were thinking about doing another class. I don't know if you know anything about it, but 
Um, I'm sure something will be said soon about it, but there was going to be another class. There was more of the stock mod class type type of racing. Huh. Interesting. No, I hadn't heard anything yet, but you know, and maybe it's not supposed to be out, but you know, <laughs> I'm I'm sure we're going to hear of a new class coming out. It's it's sort of on the EMC side, but more of a stock. You know, even more stock if, than the than the uh, than the forty six hundred. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. And and he knows how I am about that stuff. Like I I really do. I mean, like you said, man. I mean, we all want to have the Shannon Campbell and the and the you know all all the bad stuff, right? But we all don't we all not, i'm not, i mean i'm not going to sit here and tell you that we all can't afford it we just we're not gonna we're not gonna do it um i'm i'm way smarter than 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 that and i'm not going to spend that kind of money on a rig and for us on the east coast it's even harder because 99 percent of my customers don't even know what koh is true so for us over here you know for me to promote it and for me to focus and spend a bunch of money on racing in it for me it's not it doesn't do anything for my customer base. So I have to really think about that because ultimately that's, what's paying to be there. Right. So I, I got to make the wise decisions, you know, now do I want to load up in my truck and trailer and bring my LJ a buggy and go out there and have some fun that week? And of course, but that doesn't mean I, I need to race in it. Um, so, so I don't know. I mean, I've watched some of the stuff that Derek was doing on the East coast, going out and running the, the, his, his rig and the, rock bouncer stuff and you know that that all looked fun too and and i thought about going out with him a couple times when he was doing it and in the buggy and but you know it's just just have fun man my, my stuff's all mostly set up for fun and i'm not you know the only thing i got set up that could race is like you said get in the sportsman class and we rock and, and i may do that again next year who knows well cool so what's on the what's on the horizon what's the future look like for jeepers den Man, you know, I don't, I don't know. We're just going to keep doing our thing. I don't, you know, I've never been big on the internet, so we don't, we don't do stuff online. We don't, we're just a brick and mortar and uh, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. Um, You know, hopefully future always is, you know, it's hopefully somebody else wants this place more than I do and we can uh, retire and, you know, go, go do more overlanding and more wheeling, get everything loaded up behind the toter home and ride out. Yeah, because you're like uh, real close to fifty now, then, right? <laughs> I'm forty-five. Forty-five. Well, that's getting closer. Yep. Yep. Actually, you know what? I'll take that back. I'm forty-six. Forty-six. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Once you get forty, does it matter? Oh, you'll say that when you hit fifty, and then when you hit sixty. <laughs> Fifty-eight is when I realized I was starting to get old. And, yeah. it, and it was because everything started to hurt when I got up in the morning. <laughs> that Whatever happened the night before or the day before started to hurt the next day. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you feel like, I feel like I'm 30 or 28, and, you know, somewhere in that age. But when you do something, it's like, you know, it kind of reminds you you're not 30 years old anymore. True, true. But, no, I mean, you know, just go, 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 man. I mean, I, like I said, I have I have the citrus now, so that's, that's a focus. Um, you know, I've been been doing way better with that and when we got it we broke every record since every year we just get more and more you know more more production out of the trees and so we do all the work ourselves and so that keeps us kind of busy and then the shop obviously is slammed um covid didn't we never slowed down through any of that so um we've been fortunate enough to i think people were spending more money we're actually busier than we were before covid but 
um, I think people just wanted their stuff done. You know, they're not they're not driving them to work anymore. They're not they're working from home, so their jeeps were just sitting there. So they would call us and go, "Hey, you know what? Let's just do that lift kit I've been wanting to do." And I don't need the jeep, so let's just go ahead and do it now. And so it's been it's been fun, and and to see the change in our business. You know, even um, you know a lot of people think Florida we're not we're not building rock crawlers, we're not building this, but man, we do everything. You know, I don't. We build mall crawlers, we build rock crawlers, we build whatever anybody wants to do. We're doing a bunch of overland vehicles for people now, and from you know we'll put solar panels on them, we'll do whatever they need. Cool. So you're you're changing with the times, staying. Oh yeah, staying current. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And if you don't do that, <laughs> I don't think you have much of a future if you don't stay current. True, true. Well, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you uh, think is important? No, man. I mean, I'm sure we we haven't touched on a bunch. I guess you know we we don't get caught up enough anymore. Um, but no, I mean we're you know doing good, man. Just keep rolling and hope to see you out there sometime at, at We Rock, and we can get out there and run again. I'll try to bring the Burger King man out with me, and if if he can, you know, he's old now too. He's not he's not young like he was jumping around the rocks. I don't know if he can do it anymore. <laughs> We're all getting that way. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> he he hits me up all the time about going out. I keep I keep telling him I don't think you can run around the rocks like you used to. But we'll see. <laughs> Long in the tooth and gray hair. Jeez. <laughs> yep. Well, Ricky, I want to say thank you for uh, coming on board and uh, sharing your life and uh, your history and off road with uh, our listeners. And um, you know, I hope that everything that you do in the future is uh, solid and uh, prosperous and keeps you uh, keeps you doing what you want to do. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Rich. It's been fun, man. Okay. We'll talk to you later. Bye. All right. See ya. If you enjoy these podcasts, please give us a rating. Share some feedback with us via Facebook or Instagram and share our link among your friends who might be like-minded. Well, that brings this episode to an end. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next week with Conversations with Big Rich. Thank you very much.